السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another class with QP Quranic Progression and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue the tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq uh, but before we do just the three announcements actually three announcements very quickly that I will make inshallah and then uh, we will continue with our tafsir uh, so the first announcement uh, and I'll make them now as opposed to the end of the class because I often forget towards the end of the class so the first uh, announcement that I will make, inshallah ta'ala, is uh, next week I'm likely to be traveling, inshallah ta'ala, likely to be away, but I will, as I said uh, last week, uh, after I took a couple of weeks off also because of travels, that I will, inshallah ta'ala, do the class live, bi'idhnillah ta'ala. The only thing that may change is the timing. So I will try to keep also on the Tuesday, next Tuesday, but the odds are that the timing will change and most likely it will be at an earlier time. Um, I would try to keep it not more than an hour or two earlier than our usual time. So normally we have 8 p.m. UK time. Um, I would try to keep it not earlier than 6 p.m. UK time because I know that, that, that anything before that would be difficult for a lot of people. And even 6 p.m. is probably not the most ideal. So I will, inshallah, endeavor to do it at 7 p.m. Um, but if not, then it will be at 6 p.m. UK time. Uh, but we will confirm that, inshallah. So just keep an eye out on the chat groups on Telegram. And inshallah ta'ala, once that is confirmed, uh, ta'ala, that, that that's something which uh, which we posted up there. So that's just a heads up, uh, just so that everyone knows and is aware, um, just to expect that inshallah. The second uh, point is, uh, I've been asked to make an announcement for an al-Maghrib class that's coming up very soon in a few weeks time. So as you know, uh, throughout the pandemic, COVID uh, and Maghrib classes kind of shifted online or, or some of the programs that they did and, and some of the, the stuff that was going on, obviously because of the COVID uh, pandemic, we weren't able to do classes as we would usually. But Alhamdulillah, since uh, things have kind of gone back to normal, classes have kind of restarted slowly but surely uh, and in the UK also. So there's a class coming up that I've been asked to announce. I, I only have like very few details, so I'll give you what I have, and then inshallah the rest you can find at the um, you know, al-Maghrib.org. Uh, just go to the website for further details. So that class is obviously for uh, people in the UK, uh, and it's going to be held in Manchester on the weekend of the 3rd and 5th of March. The 3rd to the 5th of March, 3rd being the Friday evening, uh, free Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, 3rd to 5th of March. Uh, University of Salford in Manchester so if you're in Manchester or anywhere around Manchester or even slightly further apart and you can make it that's a good class the class is uh, called Deception a study of Shaitan by Sheikh Sa'ad Taslim from the US so it's a study of Shaitan and everything that you need to know concerning our enemy the enemy of the Muslims and so therefore that's something which uh, I would I would uh, schedule in for yourselves and for your family inshallah ta'ala so that's the weekend of the 3rd to the 5th of March, Manchester, Sheikh Sa'ad Taslim, and the course is Deception and Study of Shaitan. And for further details, please go to almaghrib.org. 
and the final announcement that I have to make is, um, as you know, over the weekend, I'm sure many of you are aware that we do a program at uh, in my local masjid in, in the UK called Lisnad, and we did our uh, we had a course this weekend, and so what we usually do is on the Tuesday after the course, straight after QP, we have a online Q and A, an online Q and A. Um, that's going to be so this evening. So that will be for for last weekend's course, or the, the course that finished a couple of days ago. Uh, that will be today, so that will be inshallah ta'ala straight after QP, and that's going to be on Telegram Live. So for that, you need to be on the Telegram Lisnad uh, broadcast group. So inshallah ta'ala, that's going to be at 9 p.m. So it's 8 p.m. now UK time, and 9 p.m. inshallah, we will start that bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. So those were my um, three announcements that I had to make. So last week, we continued with the tafsir of Surah Al Tariq, and we 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 did verse number four, and essentially we said that verse number four, the statement of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in Kullu Nafsi Lama Alayha Hafil, verse number four, there is a watcher over every soul, is the Jawab al Qasim. It is the reason for which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala took the oaths at the beginning of the surah, and that is that Allah Azza wa Jal therefore says after taking those oaths, those oaths are for this issue, which is that there is a watcher over every soul. We said that this verse has uh, two recitations or two ways in which it is recited uh, by the ten Qur'a. The first of them is the uh, four out of the ten. Read it in the way that we, we read it normally because one of those four being Asim. In kullu nafsin lamma alayha hafil. And the other six read it without the shadda and the meme. And so they say in kullu nafsin lamma alayha hafil. And we also mentioned the position of the scholars of Arabic language concerning what that meme is for. And we said that some of them said that it's with the the meaning of the lemma here or the meme here is an exception. So therefore the translation would be that there is not a soul except that there is upon it or, or over it a watcher. Another said no, the meme means that every soul has a watcher over it. And so therefore there's that different slight difference in terms of the Arabic language and, and how the the verse changes depending upon the shadda or lack thereof on the meme. The scholars of tafsir then say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says that there is a watcher over every soul, that watcher um, in the position of many of the scholars of tafsir are the angels that Allah has appointed to watch over people. So from those angels are those angels that record the, uh, the actions of a person. And some of them said, other angels as well because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent other angels that protect people for example the angel that is charged with looking after the child in the womb and so on those angels that Allah has placed but many of them would say that it is his qareen the one that records the actions of a person good actions and bad actions another scholars of tafsir said that the hafil or the watcher refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself and as we know from the names of Allah is that he is a raqib the one who watches over everything and from his names subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-hafil the one who protects and preserves and so therefore uh, some of the scholars are of that position as mentioned by Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah another said that it refers to or the third position therefore is that it refers to his own intellect that his intellect is something which guides him to what is good and beneficial and keeps him away from what is harmful and you have all of those three uh, positions but the majority as we said and the one that was chosen by many of the scholars of tafsir is the first of those positions. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the angels in terms 
of their watching and recording over a person, their actions, their deeds, they record them. And that is the, uh, the, the, the scrolls of deeds that a person will be presented with, or the record of deeds that a person will be presented with on Yom Al-Qiyamah, when they stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah Azza will give to each person their record of deeds, and they will receive them either in the right hand or in the left hand. And so that's the position, as we said, of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir. So today we begin, or we continue rather, with verse number 5. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَلْيَنْظُرِ الْإِنسَانُ مِمَّ خُلِقَ So man should reflect on what he was created from. Man should reflect on what he was created from. That's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. Sahih International, so let man observe from what he was created. And Mufti Taqi, so let man consider of which stuff he is created. And Muhsin Khan, so let man see from what he is created. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning that every person has a watcher over them, someone that watches over them and records what they do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, let man reflect over what he was created from. Because verse number 4 therefore intimates that Allah has recorded or, or does record the actions or has commanded that the angels record the actions of a person so that the action or those actions can be presented to them or presented on behalf of them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And so therefore there is within that verse, verse number 4, a hint, uh, there, is, there is a hint towards the Day of Judgment, towards Resurrection, towards the Accounting. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because as we know the Quraysh and many others uh, from the pagan Arabs and from the polytheists rejected resurrection. They denied resurrection. They were of the firm belief as Allah mentioned subhanahu wa ta'ala in a number of places in the Quran that once a person dies, their bones will, will, will be ground to dust or they will over time become dust and then there will be nothing left. So once the body decays, there will be nothing more. And even after a person dies, there is nothing more. And so therefore they didn't consider it to be a viable belief or aspect of theology that a person would be resurrected, that a person would come back to life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he says that indeed there will be a watcher over every soul, from the understanding, from the points that we therefore understand, is that Allah records those deeds, so that those deeds will be presented on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, that Allah will hold people to account that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then reward or punish accordingly. Because of the denial of people for that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then points this or comes to this issue that is in verse number 5. And this is also something which Allah repeats in a number of places in the Quran. And that is that if a person denies their own, uh, or denies the ability of Allah of resurrection, then they should look at their own origins. They should look at their own existence. The fact that Allah could create them from nothing is harder than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recreating something that already exists. And so Allah when he created Adam alayhi salam, Adam is the first of his kind. And it's done without any former or prior blueprint. There is no model, there's no blueprint, there's no uh, template there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates him from nothing. He is unique in that type of creation. And then obviously his, his progeny follow him in that way. For Allah to create Adam from nothing would be harder than for Allah to recreate something that then is uh, something which is which is commonplace. 
And Allah Azza clearly has the ability to do as He pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza says man should reflect on what he was created from. Also, because people often think, and, and this is from the traps of shaitan and from the arrogance that humans have, and the pride that then comes into their deeds and into their ego and into their personality, they think that no one will hold them to account, especially if in this life they're of a position of privilege, of wealth, of influence, whereby they can circumvent many of the rules and laws of societies. And that's something which is common. It's existed for as far as you know, as, as far back as our history goes. And it's something which you find even today amongst the people. Uh, for example, in, 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 in many parts of the world. So even today where you know, we have, for example, in the West, democracies or other than the West where there are other types of systems and laws that work, the concept or the notion that therefore there's no type of corruption, that people, for example, don't, don't have this type of undue influence, that people can't over, you know, circumvent the laws that they should be following and so on, that's obviously something which we all know just from common knowledge to different levels, some more and some less, no doubt, but either way, it is something which still exists. And so people often think that because of that power that they have, that influence, the privilege that they have, it gives and leads them to a certain type of arrogance, that they won't be held to account, that no one can hold them to account, that they are too powerful, that they are too strong. And so one of the things that Allah Azza does in the Quran, because you have this statement made by people, for example, even in the time of the Prophet Wasallam, some of the Quraysh and some of the Arabs, as we will see in the tafsir of this verse, were of that position. Who's going to come and hold me to account? Who's going to best me? Who's going to say that they're stronger than me? Who's going to say that they're more powerful than me? You have these types of individuals because of their position, their power, their influence, the wealth that they had. This is the type of, of, of thought process that they also therefore had within them. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Man should reflect on what he was created from. And so that's because to say to those people that no matter how strong you may be, no matter how, how powerful you may think you are, remember your origin. Remember what you were created from. Remember where you actually came from and what your beginning was. And that's because as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would then go on and mention, all of us came from essentially the same beginning and all of us are made up in the same way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 5, Man should reflect on what he was created from. The statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, al-insan, uh, that man should reflect, as we've mentioned before now a couple of times uh, in our tafsir of different surahs, you have two approaches amongst the scholars of tafsir, even amongst the early scholars of the tafsir from the salaf and so on. And that is that you have scholars who said that these words are generic, they're general type of words, generic words, and so therefore it includes every type of person. Let man, meaning from mankind, every human, every person, male, female, every person, it is a generic term, and so therefore it applies to everyone. And others from amongst them said, no, it's referring to so-and-so. And they would name someone. For example, from the leaders of Quraysh, for example. Uh, those scholars who give a specific example the majority of them, and Allah knows best, but it seems that it's something that they do by way of example, as opposed to exclusivity. So they're not saying that this verse only speaks about this individual, because the whole context of these verses shows that Allah is describing a trait, describing a, a, a characteristic, an attribute amongst those people, and Allah is therefore refuting it. However, from amongst the people, 
An example sometimes is something which brings that meaning to life. It is something which brings that meaning closer to the heart and, and it is something which people can therefore understand. And so you will say, for example, some of the scholars will say, for example, this issue is referring to Abu Jahl. doesn't mean only Abu Jahl, but Abu Jahl is a prime example of what is being discussed. It's, an, it's a verse that's speaking about Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab is not the only person but is a prime example of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to, and so on and so forth. So this verse is something similar. You will find among scholars of tafsir that just took the general root, and they just said generically it, it just refers to every human, and therefore we understand that's pretty clear and obvious. And then there are scholars who said, no, it's referring to so-and-so. And that is because that individual is a prime example of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. So in this verse you have again both uh, both if you like both uh, methodologies. So Ikrima rahimahullah ta'ala, Ikrima being one of the scholars of the tabi'een from the students of the likes of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum and others, he said that this verse is referring to a man by the name of Abu al-Ashaddin. And Abu al-Ashaddin, uh, because he would say, uh, because of his strength and his power and his physical ability to fight, he would say just generally to the people of Quraysh, whoever can out-wrestle me, I will give to them such and such. So he would just challenge people. And he would say to them that if you can best me, you can out-wrestle me, you can move me, you can you know, get me to, to, uh, to, to surrender or submit, I will give to you such and such. And Abu al-Ashaddin is actually someone that we um, have spoken about before briefly when we were going through the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad. He's someone that Allah Azza wa Jal, or some of the scholars of tafsir, uh, said is being referred to in one of the verses that is mentioned in, in that particular surah. Uh, Abu al-Ashaddin is his kunya, that's what he was known by, it's like his title. And they differ over his name because he was a man from the time of Jahiliyyah, and as we know for, for many of those names and stuff, they're not really recorded in that sense. Uh, but some of the scholars said, uh, or historians said that his name was Kalda, others said uh, his name was Asid, and there are differences you know, uh, uh, concerning this. And he is from the tribe of, of al-Jumah, so he's al-Jumahi. Uh, so this Kaldah al-Jumahi, more famous known as Abu al-Shaddain, uh, was a big man, a strong man, and he was known to be from amongst the most courageous of the Arabs. And he was also someone who became an en enemy afterwards to the Prophet wasallam and to the Muslims in the early Meccan period. And it is even said in some narrations that he actually attempted to kill the Prophet wasallam because of his enmity towards him, uh, but obviously he was unable to do so. And he's mentioned, you find in the books of Tafsir, his name will pop up here and there as a prime example when it, came, when it comes to these types of issues. So for example here, as we said, some of the scholars said it's referring to, uh, to, to Abu al-Shaddain. Let people or let man see that which he came from. It's referring to someone like Abu al-Shaddain because of his arrogance and his ego and his, his strength and his courage and so on, he thought that no one could best him, no one would be able to hold him to account, no one could overcome him. And so Allah is saying, you, Abu al-Shaddain, where did you come from? What's your origin from? Where did you actually emanate from? So that's, for example, uh, an example of this. Another example of where he's mentioned in the Quran is in Surah Al-Muddathir, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Hawfai and he says that its keepers or its guardians are 19. There are 19. It is said that the um, that Abu al-Shaddin used to say to uh, to people, uh, you know, to the Quraysh, he would gather them and he would say, why are you scared 
of this. He's saying that there's 19 people watching over the fire. They're the guardians of the fire. So even if we were to enter this fire, if there's 19 of them, I'll take 10 on by myself. Or in other narrations, it is said that he said, I will take on 17 by myself. And the rest of you, just deal with the other two. The rest of you, deal with the other two. And this is again from his arrogance and his pride that he thinks that when Allah says that there are 19 over the fire, he thinks that they're just going to be men. And he's never come across a man that he couldn't best. So he's like, I will take on the majority myself and you, the rest of the tribe of Quraysh, surely you can deal with whoever is left behind. And that is what Allah says in that verse, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا أَصْحَابَ النَّارِ إِلَّا مَلَائِكَةً We have made the guardians angels. It's not the people that he's thinking of. It's not just another human, another person, those people that he's fought in his lifetime and bested. The ones that are the guardians of the fire, Allah is saying, I'm angels. Angels, vast in creation, vast in their power and in the strength that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them. As we know, for example, from the sunnah concerning the description of the heavens, that one angel would come down and he would essentially cover the horizon, meaning everything that you can see in the sky would be covered by him, meaning in his original form, that is how big the angel is. And then obviously there are angels that are bigger and there are angels that are stronger like Jibreel والسلام, But every single one of those angels is a mighty creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Allah Azza then says, وَمَا النَّارِ إِلَّا مَلَائِكَةً Those people or those guardians of the fire are not people, they're not humans, they are angels. But anyway, the point being that that's another example of where he is mentioned. The example that was given in Surah Al-Balad that we covered uh, when we did the tafsir of that surah is in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla Does he think that no one will be able to hold him to account? Will be able to overcome him, overpower him? And so uh, a number of, 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 of some of the scholars of tafsir said that it's referring to uh, this man Abu al-Shaddain because of the way that he would boast and the way that he would show his enmity to the Prophet وسلم, and the way that he would say that he wasn't scared of any of these threats of punishment that were being brought by the Prophet وسلم, uh, and likewise because he was considered to be from amongst those people who spent his wealth and spent his effort in trying to harm the Prophet وسلم. so that verse also in Surah Al-Balad he says that I have spent all of my wealth in this way meaning that I have spent it in enmity an opposition to the Prophet وسلم, some of the scholars of Tafsir said that it's referring to Abu al-Shaddain. And clearly these verses that we're mentioning here, it is not specific to him, but there were other people who did the same thing, spent their money and their wealth and spent their time and effort in enmity and opposition to the Prophet وسلم. You could say Abu Lahab did the same, Abu Jahl did the same, many of the leaders of Quraysh that died upon Kufr, they did the same. And so therefore Abu al-Shaddain is an example and maybe a prime example of those people but is not the only one and so that's why we said that you know you have those uh, two particular positions uh, he's also going to be mentioned inshallah ta'ala in a surah that we're not too far from now that is surah al-infitar when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ya yuhal insanu ma gharraka bi rabbikal kareem o mankind what has deceived you concerning your lord the most generous what has deceived you concerning your lord the most generous and that is also speaking about those people who rejected resurrection. They denied resurrection and the counting before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so some of the scholars said that Allah Azzawajal is referring to a particular individual here. And from amongst those people that are named as being in that verse, and it's not the only one, but from amongst them, 
it is said Abu Lashaddain also. Abu Lashaddain also. So the point here being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says insan, and one of the reasons why as we mentioned before that we have this you know, double methodology in terms of the meaning of this verse is because the word insan in the Arabic language is the singular, the singular form. So the word nas means people, right? And so therefore a nas is referring to people or mankind and so therefore it's not referring to a single person. But the word insan linguistically means a single person. However, the Arabs often interchange the two. They often use them interchangeably. And because of that, that's why the majority of the scholars said that it doesn't refer to a single person. But Allah is saying, any one of you, any man, any as if Allah is addressing each one directly, but it's not referring to only one. It's as if it's just a direct address to each and every single one, but it includes all of humanity. And so other scholars said, you know, they were slightly perhaps more uh, in their tafsir, trying to be more literal in just looking at that one single individual that he may refer to as a prime example. And therefore you have people like uh, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, Abu Jahl, this man, Abu Lashaddin and others that are often mentioned in that particular regard. Uh, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in the tafsir of this verse, فَلْيَنْظُرُ الْإِنسَانُ مِمَّا خُلِقُ He said that Allah says that man or the person who denies resurrection after death should look and see the one who denies that Allah has the ability to give life after death this person should look at their own origin and what it is that they were actually created from what it is that they came from and this is uh, similar to what other scholars of tafsir have said also for example Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala he said the see here when Allah says, فَلْيَنْظُرِ لَا مَنْكَيْنْ سِي or let man see, the seeing here is the seeing of the intellect, not physically see, but let him understand, let him think, let him see in terms of thinking and the thought and the thinking that will lead him therefore to knowledge that the one who denies the resurrection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resurrect after death, let him see and think concerning this issue and what it is that, or where it is that he came from, what his origins himself were. Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his tafsir, um, and when we say, by the way, Shanqiti, I've said this a number of times before, but it's been a while, so maybe it's good to repeat it. We may have new uh, students or people that have joined us since and so on, and maybe they've never, they've not come across this before. Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah, as we know, uh, he's someone who, who lived fairly contemporarily so uh, I was fortunate enough to study with people that was studied under him. So he's, you know, he's a teacher of my teachers. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, originally from Mauritania, later settled in Saudi Arabia, taught in Islamic University of Medina, and died there, rahimahullah ta'ala, was a major scholar of Islam of his time, uh, and had some particular uh, areas in which he excelled and in which he left a great deal of writings and so on from the Mistafsir. He has a book, called al Bayan, which is a, a very good tafsir. Inshallah, he will be one of the scholars when we do one of our specials concerning the scholars of tafsir and the methodologies of tafsir. He's definitely going to be, inshallah ta'ala, one of the people that we're going to touch upon because of how important his tafsir is. His tafsir is essentially doing tafsir of the Qur'an with other verses of the Qur'an primarily. That's why he looks at doing tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an, which is clearly, when it comes to tafsir, that's the first port of call. It's the first 
step of doing tafsir or the first methodology of doing tafsir and that is to see how other verses of the Quran complement, explain, enhance this particular verse that we are studying. The, uh, however, as we, as the point that I want to make and, and what I mentioned before is that he passed away ta'ala, before he could conclude the tafsir. So he would teach this verbally and he taught the tafsir of the Quran I think two or three times in his lifetime. So his students remembered his tafsir, or they, you know, they had studied with his tafsir, and they they had they had completed tafsir with him. But when it came to him writing the book, he was unable to complete it before he passed away, rahimahullah taala. And so the last uh, section of the book wasn't actually completed by him, but it was completed by one of his major or main students, a, a sheikh by the name of Sheikh Atiyah Salim, rahimahullah taala, originally from Egypt, also later settled in Medina, taught in the Masjid of the Prophet وسلم, and, a, and a scholar in his own right. He came and, you know, from his, uh, you know, from his, uh, if you like, from his uh, loyalty or from his uh, good character and good conduct towards his teacher, from his respect to him, he, rather than leaving that book, he finished and completed it. And so often, uh, the last portion of the book, when we say Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin he said, or it said in Adwa'ul Bayan, you know, that's referring to his students that come and they completed that work of his. So it's been a while since I mentioned this, so just so that that's clear. So in Adwa'ul Bayan, anyway, uh, the author, Ta'ala, he says, Al-Insan here refers to all of Adam and all of his, uh, all of the children of Adam. Refers to all of the children of Adam, except for those who are an exception to this rule. And the exceptions to this rule are three. So when Allah says, let every human look or every person look at their creation, where it is that they came from, it includes everyone except three. The first of them being Adam because Adam's origin is different to everyone else. For everyone else, they're born from their parents, from their mother and their father, and so therefore they required both the male and female liquids to come together in order for them to be born. Adam is an exception to that rule. He required neither of those two things. The second exception would be then his wife, our mother Hawa, السلام, because she is taken from the loins of Adam, السلام, as, opposed, as opposed to her also requir- requiring a mother and father. And the third exception, obviously, therefore, being Isa, السلام, the Prophet Isa, and that is because, as we know, Allah gave to him a virgin uh, birth, and so therefore he has a mother but no father. So, that's a good point, I thought, that the author, that the Shaykh mentioned, rahimahullah ta'ala, and that is that this is an exception, these three are an exception, but Allah Azza is speaking as always or often in the Quran, He is addressing the majority, and so therefore the verse still stands in terms of its general meaning. Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza is saying to those people who reject the possibility of resurrection, they don't think that it's possible. They don't think that it's something likely to happen. He's telling them to stop and to think. He's telling them to stop and to think. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will immediately, as he's told them to stop and think of this issue, in the next verse, Allah Azzawajal immediately answers the question for them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them to stop. Let every person think and stop and see as to that which they came from. Where did they originate from? Ibn Atiyah, he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then establishes the proof against them, makes it very clear where they came from, by immediately mentioning in the next verse the answer to this question 
that Allah Azza wa Jal poses. And the answer to that question therefore is in verse number 6. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 6, خُلِقَ Allah created him from a spurting liquid that is split, that is spilt into the womb. And that's the translation of uh, Professor Abdul Halim. He's quoted from, from spurting fluid. Uh, the translation of Sahih International, he was created from a fluid ejected. Mufti Taqi, he is created of spouting water. And Muhsin Khan, he is created from a water gushing forth. The, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, خُلِقَ مِنْ مَاءٍ Allah Azza is saying that your origin, my origin, your origin, the origins of the likes of Abu Jahl, this man Abu Rashaddin that we were speaking about, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, Abu Lahab, all of these people, Pharaoh, Qarun, Haman, all of these enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the enemies of the messengers and prophets of Allah, والسلام, all of these people that are in opposition to the religion of Islam and so on, all of these people who denied resurrection, all of us, every single one of us, our origin was from something as simple and as small as this fluid that is ejected from the male and from the female. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he, when, when he speaks about this issue, uh, and, and this is something which is mentioned a number of times in the Quran, uh, one of the th- one of the ways in which a person should remember their or remember to humble themselves and remember their true worth in terms of not becoming too arrogant and too haughty and too pride is to remember their origin, because the origin of a human, either you look at the first origin, meaning the complete origin of the human, which is the origin of Adam والسلام, in which case you're looking at him being created from from the earth of the, from earth. And the earth then being mixed with water, and so it becomes like mud and clay. And these types of, of, of uh, you know these types of materials, if you like, these ingredients, are are very simple ingredients, and they are very uh, lowly ingredients in the sense that it's not gold, it's not silver, it's not something which has a great deal of wealth or value attached to it. It's not something which is a precious metal that is extremely hard to obtain, extremely valuable, very difficult to mold. It is from the simplest of things that are available to every person. There's no one upon the earth except that they will be able to take some earth, even if it's what's beneath their feet. Don't need a great deal of money. You could be homeless, you could be poor, and you could still probably get some earth fairly easily. Water to mix that earth with. Again, very easy and accessible for the vast majority of people. Those things are not going to be difficult to have. And if we look at the origin, therefore, after that time of Adam والسلام, so that was the origin of the human race, if you like, of the species. But then when it comes to each and every single individual and from the fluids that are ejected by the male and the female, the parents at the time of their intimacy, that fluid is something which is not liked in the sense that it's something which you know you would wash off or it's sticky and it's not nice and therefore you it's not something which you would like to be seen. Not something that you like to have on your hands or your clothes or your body. It's something that you that you would get rid of because of not it not being something which is pleasant in that sense. Has a very distinct, as we know, smell and very distinct, uh, very distinct texture and so on. All of these things show to you, therefore, that these are things that are not something which a person would boast about. No one goes around boasting that this is my origin. People boast in other ways. My father was so and so. My tribe is such and such. I have this much money, this is my family name, 
But if you were to go a step or a few steps further and look at this particular issue that Allah is focusing us upon, then that person wouldn't go around boasting. No one walks around boasting about that type of thing because it's not something which has in it any type of added value. And that is the reality of the human. That is the reality of a person. That each one of us, irrespective of who our parents may be, their lineage, our wealth, our family name, our social status, our whatever else it may be, these things are arbitrary. They are things that Allah Azza wa decreed for you, most of them, in the sense that you don't have a choice which parents you're born to. You don't have a choice in terms of your family name or your lineage. You don't have a choice in terms of the fam- the social the social setting that you were born into, the privilege that you were born into or lack thereof. These are things that Allah Azza wa ordained for you. And so therefore to use them as sticks of haughtiness, of pride, of arrogance to show that you're better than someone else, you did nothing to attain that. That is something which Allah decreed for you, just as Allah Azza wa decreed for someone else that they wouldn't have those issues. So therefore you have no right to use them as sticks of ignorance and sticks of of of, of you know arrogance and so on and so forth. The uh, the therefore what a person can be proud of what a person can uh, inshallah ta'ala use as a means of showing their true worth in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is as Allah says in the Quran the most honorable of you in the sight of Allah are those with the most piety because that is something that you do attain that is something that you do work for that is something that you uh, that you that you do use and you and you continue to use for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this because this is often the case with many people. Unfortunately, it's something which we see still within a number of, uh, you know, a number of our communities and a number of, of cultures, Muslim cultures and Muslim, Muslim countries still have this issue of, of shame, whereby if you are from a certain tribe or from a certain caste, it may be, or from a certain social setting, then you have a lowly position in that general community and society, whereas other people will have a higher one than you. And this is something which you find still very prevalent in many places. And so Islam came and it kind of broke down those barriers. It established and it could keep kept certain things, as Allah Azza mentioned, we made you into tribes and into people so that you may get to know one another. So you know this person from their tribe, you know them from their family name. Those are things that, are, that Islam came and it confirmed and it affirmed them because there is a need for them. There is a need and there is a benefit in knowing them. However, that doesn't lead to a person showing arrogance or undue haughtiness or whatever else it may be. But rather a person has that humility and humbleness because as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, all of us in terms of, of our origin, is uh, we are one and the same in that sense. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ, in his farewell hajj, in his farewell sermon, this is one of the points that he mentioned, because this was a big issue amongst the Arabs, in terms of tribal names and tribes and who you come from and so on and so forth. The Quraysh had this, as we know, and that's why they used to manipulate the rulings of Hajj and Umrah. They would manipulate the rights of Hajj and Umrah to suit them because they're Quraysh, and other people who are non-Qurashites, they have to go and do certain other things. This is part of this whole complex that people have. Um, you know, and, and you see this throughout the Quran in many of the stories of the prophets, like the story of Nuh They would say to him that the people that are following you, are, should we believe in you when your followers are from the lowly people? And the Prophet had the same issue because from amongst his followers were people who were generally poor, people who were former slaves. 
these were the types of people that followed the Prophet وسلم, and that caused a problem for many of the leaders of, of Quraysh and some of the other, other Arab tribes as well. And that is why the Prophet وسلم, when he stood in the farewell Hajj and he addressed all of those companions, one of the things that he said to them is that there is no favor or no preference for an Arab over a non-Arab or someone who is white-skinned, light-skinned over someone who is dark-skinned illa taqwa except with taqwa and the piety of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is something then that the Muslims embody they embody that in the time of the companions radiallahu anhum and they embody that after the time of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'in it is said for example in the time of Umar radiallahu anhum Umar as we know as the Khulafa did they had governors of their lands so he was based in Medina there's a governor of Mecca there's a governor of Iraq there's a governor of Damascus all of these places have Governors that he would appoint, some of the companions and some of them other than the companions. And on one occasion, a, uh, one of his governors came to him, or someone came to him, and he asked him, who did you leave behind in that place when you left? Who did you deputize? And he said, a man by the name of Ibn Abza. Ibn Abza was a well-known scholar later on. But obviously, Umar radiallahu anhu during that time, he doesn't know who he is, but he was a scholar in his own right. Ibn Abza, I left Ibn Abza. He said, who is Ibn Abza? He said, Ibn Abza was a man who was a slave. He's now a free slave. And I've appointed him to that position. And I think the city, if I remember correctly, was Mecca or something like this. He said, Umar radiallahu anhu said to this man, how can you leave someone who used to be a slave over the likes of the people of Mecca? Because the people of Mecca are known for this issue of you know, the tribal thing and Quraysh and all of this. How can you leave someone like him over them as their leader? So he replied this man and he said, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, O leader of the believers, This is a man of the Qur'an, meaning he's a scholar of the Qur'an. And the scholars of the past when they would say he's a qari, or uh, that he's a person of the Qur'an, not like now when we say, for example, he's just someone who's fluent in reading. No, it means a scholar of the Qur'an. Because all of the Muslims could read the Qur'an. And so there's no special attribute to say, oh, he's a qari, meaning a reciter of the Qur'an. Everyone recited the Qur'an in that time. He's speaking about the time of Umar radiallahu And so what it means is that he's a scholar of the Qur'an. And so Umar radiallahu then, then he accepted this. And he said, indeed, I heard the Prophet say, sallallahu that Allah raises with this book, meaning the Qur'an, people. And he causes others to be humiliated through it. Meaning those who hold on to the Qur'an, Allah raises them. Those who abandon the Qur'an, Allah Azza lowers and humiliates them. And so therefore that was something which then in the time of the companions, in the time of the tabi'een, many of the famous scholars of Islam, whose names we are very familiar with, especially from the time of the tabi'een, are actually former slaves. They are Arabs, they are former slaves, or they are non-Arabs. They are non-Arabs and so therefore they are the people who uh, you know, who were honored because of their knowledge, because of their taqwa, because of their piety, because of their iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their righteous deeds, Allah azza wa honored them. And so therefore Islam came to take away some of these issues that people had. And so this is one of the things that a person often thinks about in terms of my origin, my lineage, my name, my caste, my tribe. It's something which you still see very commonly today. And there is a place for it that is correct and it's permissible in our religion. And there is a place for it that is incorrect and that is oppressive and that is actually something which is repugnant in Islam and it is used to humiliate others or look down upon them or to have this ego trip, this arrogance and haughtiness that certain people have when it comes to these issues of tribe. And so Allah is saying, for example, to people like this man Abu al people like Abu Jahl, 
people like Umayyah ibn Khalaf, people like Abu Lahab, what were you all created from? If you deny the resurrection and you think that you're too strong, too powerful, that your that your origin is so great, what were you created from? You were created from this liquid, this fluid that is ejected or that is spilt. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the verse of the Quran, uh, means, so you have like two different, uh, different translations, I think, here. One is that it is a fluid that has been injected, and one that it is a fluid that is spurting, meaning one is in the kind of past tense, and one is a quality or an attribute of that particular fluid, that it is a type of fluid that spurts, or that it is uh, spouting, or that is gushing forth. And the other translation is that it is one that has been already ejected. And both of these you will find in the books of Tafsir. Both of these you will find in the books of Tafsir. And Imam Al-Tabari, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions, uh, he mentions both. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore says that this is the, the, this is how a person has been created. The word dafiq means something which spurts, right? Something which comes out in, in, in many waves, if you like. It is spurted out. It comes out in spurts. Uh, like, for example, water that comes, um, as, as some of them said, the way that water comes down the valley, right? The way that it comes down in the valley, it comes down in, in, in waves. It comes down in, in small, mini waves. Uh, that is the meaning of the word dafiq in the Arabic language. And then some of the scholars said that it's referring to the past tense, meaning that it's something which has already happened. Another scholar said, no, it's an attribute of that liquid, that fluid, as it, as it emerges, as, as, as we know. And Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa Jal refers to this, and what he refers to here is both fluids, the fluid of the man and the fluid of the woman, because a person is created from both of them. And Allah Azza wa refers to them in the singular, he says, and Imam Al-Qurtubi, as opposed to the two fluids, he refers to them as a singular because the two of them then merge and they become one. So he says, لَكِنْ جَعَلَهُمَا مَاءً وَاحِدًا لِمْتِزَاجِهِمَا That Allah Azza wa made them a single fluid or refers to them as a single fluid even though they start as two separate ones because the two of them become one. And this was something similar also mentioned by Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala and others. So Allah Azza wa says that this is the origin of people. This is where you originally come from. You come from this type of liquid that emanates from a person, a liquid that you yourself wouldn't boast about. It's not something that you are telling people about. It's not something that you would that you would have any any pride associating yourself with. That's the origin of every single person. And even if you were to go further back than this, to the time of Adam alayhi salatu wasalam, then that would simply be the dust or the, the earth and the water, the clay, the mud that Allah Azza wa created him from. This is the origin of people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can recreate this because it's not like it's some type of precious metal or something extremely difficult to use. There's something which is extremely easy to recreate and especially for the one who is all-powerful, the one who has control of the heavens and the earth. Verse 7 is also linked to this because Allah Azza wa then says and speaks about where it emerges from this particular fluid. However, that's a longer discussion, um, and there is a, there is actually an, a, a good level of detail concerning that that I wanted to go into. So I think we'll leave that, inshallah ta'ala, uh, till next week. So if there's any questions, we'll take them. 
the others will conclude and I was going to stop a few minutes early anyway just to prepare for um, for um, for the Alisnad uh, Q&A session that we have as well okay so if there's any questions we haven't created either the fluid I mean I'm not sure what you mean by the by that question they're clearly like the, the fluid that Allah Azzawajal has placed in men and women is something which he created as well it's not something which we created ourselves so therefore it's not like something it's not something that we did that therefore we can boast about it's not something that you know we produce in that sense that we can it's something which Allah Azzawajal has placed in in the bodies of people uh, and therefore you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's from his favors as well uh, upon people Okay, so if there's no questions, inshallah, we will conclude. As I said, next week, inshallah ta'ala, uh, bidnillah, the class will be on a Tuesday, but the timing may change, so please look out for that uh, on the Telegram groups that we have. Um, and inshallah ta'ala, uh, if there's going to be any other change, then likewise on the Telegram group, that will be mentioned as well. But inshallah, otherwise, it will be Tuesday, but it will be, inshallah ta'ala, maybe at a slightly different time. بارك الله فيكم وسلم الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته